0: With a 4:12.68 68 and borrowed spikes, Mariah Kelly netted her first national medal, a bronze and a loaded 1500 meter, this year in Montreal. Mariah, a member of the Vic City elite in Athletics Canada West Hub, as well as a New Balance supported athlete, now has her work cut out for her, chasing standards trying to nab a spot on that Doha World Championship team this fall. And we caught up with her this week in Memphis. You're listening to The Terminal Mile. My name is Michael Rocus. You can find the show at The Terminal Mile on both Twitter and Instagram. And this is a Tracky Radio production. Alright, you can now add national medalists to your resume. One thing that I did read about it though, and I think this would be a good place to start, is um, I read a news article that you... didn't run in your own spikes what's the story behind that
1: (laughs) yeah so um I was just about to go in the tall the call tent and uh about like 30 minutes before our races we do just a warm-up 200 and we had access to the indoor track there and so I was going to put my spikes on and do a warm-up 200 and at this point we're like just about to like call room's going to close it's 20 minutes from the race or so And I look in my bag, and I don't have my spikes. And I realize that I have left them at my Airbnb, which was 30 minutes from the track. So absolutely no way I was going to be able to get my spikes. And, uh, you know, my coach Heather and Jeff, I could see that they were somewhat panicked, (laughs) but (laughs) they were telling me to stay calm and that they would handle it. So I do my warm-up, too, in my trainers, and then I go into the call room, And I can just see, like, a bunch of the coaches, um, Britt Townsend included, who is Lindsay Butterworth's coach, just, like, looking for spikes for me everywhere. And everyone is just, like, frantically going. My training partner, Laurence, uh, ran back to her Airbnb to grab her spikes to bring them to me. And uh, I'm in the call room. I'm not allowed to leave. And Jeff and Heather are passing me spikes. And the first pair I try on are a seven and a half Nikes, which I'm a size 8. So mm. they definitely did not fit. <laughs> yeah. But I was going to make it work. Um, however, I am a New Balance sponsored athlete, so I knew like I was either going to have to tape them up or I wouldn't be able to wear them. Otherwise, my sponsor would be pissed. Mm. So... Um, Luckily, the next shoe that came through the call room was a pair of new balance shoes. And I was like, oh my God, this is like so perfect. They were seven and a half two though, so they were a bit tight, but not too bad. And I I did like, you know, I walked around in them, I thought, okay, like this feels better than the other shoe. I can make this work. And they took us out. Like my teammate Laurence had didn't get back in time. We were heading out to the track. I had my these random spikes on of a girl whose name I didn't know at the time and uh, they take us out and I'm just like, oh my God, like I've done no strides in these spikes. I have no idea how they feel. And I remember them lining us up on the start line and they said, okay, you can do one stride. I did one stride in the spikes. I didn't really think anything of it and then boom, the the gun goes off.
0: Yeah, no that that's crazy. Okay, so like mentally how do you get from that that state of panic of of not having your spikes, you know, not knowing what what's going to go down whether you're going to have to tape up your spikes? What the deal is to running in the national championship final. I have to think that you have to you have to get your mind somewhere else and you have to get it somewhere else really quickly. How did you do that?
1: Yeah. So the second I realized I didn't have them, I had like a little panic and I let out a huge curse word, (laughs) like screamed it. And, uh, my coach was like, no, this is not the time for this. You just, you know, you need to calm down. And so she said that to me and I just, I dropped it. I just, I let it go and I did my warm up too. And then after that, I just like I said to myself, you know what, all I can do is control the controllables. And at the time, I couldn't control the fact that I didn't have spikes, and I just hoped that maybe I would get a pair. And I didn't really think about, you know, the worst-case scenario of not getting a pair because I knew at the end of it all, like, I was going to race no matter what, even if that meant I was going to go barefoot. So, you know, the race plan was the same, my fitness was still there, and the opportunity was still there, and whether or not I had spikes was just one piece of the puzzle that I could do without if I needed to.
0: Okay, so walk me through the race. Um, you know, gun goes off. Uh, what, what happens over the, the next three and three-quarter laps?
1: I was position one on the start line, which is like the worst place to be on a 1,500-meter championship start line. And uh, I knew I was going to have to get out hard, and so I did, and I ended up being, like, maybe fifth or fourth from the front, which I was okay with because there was, like, a pretty strong wind on the backstretch, and I had a good feeling that Gabriella would take control of the race early on just to make sure she was out of traffic and out of trouble. And uh, I was, like, I wasn't surprised that we went 65 the first lap. I thought that was pretty modest for Gabriella, and so... um, After the first lap, I was just, like, really in the zone, and I was trying to be aware of what was going on around me and what was going on in front of me. And so, you know, I felt really good throughout the race. I was really in tune with everything that was going on. And when she had slowed things down, um, I just started to feel better. So I, I almost, you know, at any point in the race knew I was in control and I was just getting ready for that last lap. And uh, with 300 to go, there was a little bit of position changing and, you know, it was a pretty strong wind on the backstretch. So I didn't want to make like, I mean, I wanted to wait for my opportunity with 200 to go and uh, make it then. And actually, when I did decide to make my final big move, uh, Jenna Westaway actually went at the exact same time hmm. and uh, boxed me in a little. So I, I ended up having a late start on my move, which I ended up chasing her down the home stretch and it was a neck and neck finish for us too. But yeah, that was a uh, bad timing on my part.
0: <laughs> so, you know, coming coming from the world of being a 400, 800 person, uh, you've got to feel pretty confident, you know, going into, you know, the last 400 where, where everyone's really in play though.
1: Yeah. Like I, I did um, typically in the past, I've, I've let my nerves get the best of me in the last 400. But uh, this year I've been working with a mental performance specialist, uh, John Coleman, and he's really helped me um, stay calm in that moment and really, like, gather up all my energy and, and get ready to gear up because I am fit and I am prepared to do what it takes that last lap. And so I think I've just learned to use the tools that I have and always have had instead of worrying about what other people have.
0: So from there, you uh, you went down to to Hamilton for a twilight meet. Now you know you say you say twilight, and and you think all comers, and and you know that wasn't really the case in that race. That was that was really something special, though. You know, let, let's let's talk a little bit about that eight hundred uh, in in Hamilton. Following following that, what was what was that experience like? And and you know what was it like to to look down the line and you know, at this, at this twilight meet and see such a loaded field?
1: Well, first of all, like whenever you have that much talent in one race, you just, you know that, you know, you got to bring your best to the table. And so I was super, super excited to have an opportunity to run with such incredible 800 meter women and just to see what I could do in an event that I don't run that often. And honestly, like it was, it was just fun to like, sort of go in, and not to say that I didn't have any expectations, but in the, 800, or in the 1500, I do, because I run it so much, have a certain amount of expectation in terms of how I get out and how I tactically run the race, where the 800, I don't have that much experience in the event since college, and so I really just you know, go out there and see what happens. And it was great to get pulled along by women who are just getting after it and going for it. It was so cool. Like I, I finished the race. And I just said that was so fun.
0: You know, he, you now call, you know, Victoria home. Uh, but I have to think this was probably not your first time on that Hamilton track. am, am I correct in, in guessing that?
1: Yes, 100%. Actually, when I was in, when I was living in Niagara, I used to train a lot at the indoor facility um, at McMaster, and I used to do a lot of indoor meets at the. It used to be a 150-meter like bank track <laughs> that we hmm. used to work out on and do races on, and so I had raced in in Hamilton a lot and trained there a few times.
0: Did did you ever get to, uh, to use the outdoor track at all? I mean, like, the, that's always been, been one of those tracks that, that has kind of been, I, I almost want to say, you know, best kept secret, you know, people know that that's, that's a fast track.
1: Yeah, I actually had never been on the outdoor track before, and honestly, I was shocked by how fast it was. Like, when I came out to see the facility, I was amazed by, you know, the location, how quick the surface was it was just it was an incredible event
0: yeah no, no doubt, no doubt, um so. A question that that we like to ask people who, who aren't, you know, at their, at their home base right now, when, when we're contacting them, you know, when, when they're away from that is just, just where in the world are you and what are you hoping to achieve by being there? So I, I think that would be a, a good thing to ask, uh, you know, especially this week.
1: Yeah. So I'm in, uh, Memphis, Tennessee. I just left Niagara today. I flew out of Toronto, and I'm here at the Ed Murphy Classic, going after the world standard for Doha, in the 1500.
0: Yeah, so you you have um you have a little bit of time time to chase that. I know the U.S. you know they weren't they weren't granted that, but uh, up here in Canada, you are allowed to to chase a little bit after. What what are the details behind that? I mean, like what what's the time that you have to hit? Um, you know, is there is there a ranking that will do and you you know how much time do you have to to do it?
1: So I have until August 24th um to hit the world standard which is 4065 and currently there is only one Canadian woman who has the world standard. So there is room for two more and um based on the criteria there isn't um anything saying that placing at nationals matters but i think it definitely helps in the decision making
0: so 4065 that um you, you would have to take quite a bit off of your pb for that i mean the, those uh, those those are a couple of very precious seconds what makes you yes. think that that you can do it
1: well i think um the past couple years I have been at a fitness level that I have not demonstrated in my racing and I think that's been mostly due to not being where I need to be mentally and I think this year not only am I in a different place in terms of my fitness but also in a different place in terms of my headspace and so I think with those two new and improved additions to who I am as an athlete is what's going to help me make that jump in performance.
0: You know the the mid-distance events can be so finicky. You know sometimes it can come down to to being in the right in the right race at the right time. Or you know you, you've you've talked a lot about the the psychological side of things as well too. How how difficult let's let's focus on that first one, though, like how difficult has it been to find that that perfect race for you, the the one where you, you know, can maximize on your fitness and and that sort of stuff?
1: Well, I think that's, you know, part of the issue is that. Um, as athletes, I think many of us are at fault for looking for the perfect race and the perfect opportunity to maximize our optimal fitness. But the truth of the matter is is that those opportunities are so rare. Like, you may only see it a handful of times in your career. And so I think the really great athletes, the ones who are world class and are at the top of our sport, are able to pull out their those performances in the most unideal circumstances and so you know they're not given the perfect race or the perfect circumstance but they're still able to perform and so that's been my focus this year is been on trying to learn how to be a performer and not just someone who's looking for the perfect race or the perfect opportunity
0: you know that that's interesting um you know, I, I think he you went to you went to Baylor. You you ran in that NCAA system, and no doubt you had you had tons of opportunities to to run. You know, and, and maximize. You know, basically what was. What, what, what your fitness was capable of at the time because you were you were thrown into these races with tons of other you know similar athletes looking for similar times and that sort of stuff has it been much of an uh, adjustment to go from being a collegiate runner to you know running running with a Vic City Elite now
1: yeah at first it was a huge adjustment because I mean when I first went to Baylor I definitely started you know bottom of the totem pole like I was coming in with a 211 PB in the 800 and girls in the NCAA are running, you know, 159, two flat. So I was a long way from being anywhere near all American status. And, you know, it took a long time for me to get to a level where I was able to make an NCAA final and make a few NCAA appearances and win a few conference titles. And so, you know, since then, or when I graduated Baylor I went back to the bottom of the totem pole like I came out of Baylor running 416 in the 1500 and the Olympic standard at the time was 407 flat and I had a long way to go but the first time I ran 410 was when I realized okay like now I'm closer I I have an opportunity to to close that gap again and the last couple years I guess I've just sort of stayed around 410 409 and i think it's been more a barrier in my mind than it has been in my ability physically and you know i think the biggest issue i've come across is trying to be better than other people instead of trying to be the best version of who i am that day
0: you know uh we mentioned that that you're running you know um in in victoria now with with the the performance uh, center out there, and and with the Vic City Elite. Well, why out there? What what made you choose uh, that place?
1: Well, I was actually looking at um, a few places at the time, and I ended up talking to Heather Henninger, who is our head coach, and she offered me to come out there and pay a visit and run some races. And when I got out there, I you know I met Heather and I saw the facilities, and at the time it wasn't what it is today. It was, you know, just beginning. And so there wasn't as much of an attraction for me. Like it was more, this is what we have and if you like it, come over and I don't know what it was but there was something in my gut and in my heart that was saying that that was the place.
0: You know, we we've talked about the the mental aspect, the psychological aspect to to racing, but you know, th- there's got to be a pretty good feeling, you know, just going around Victoria right now, you know, to see some of your teammates do so well. Does does that have a, an effect on your racing at all?
1: Yeah, totally. Like um at the 800 race in Hamilton, Myself and my two other training partners, Adria and the Ross all PB'd, and that was such a great feeling because I work hard with them all year long. I watch them give everything to this, and when you see that, you see the commitment, you see the dedication, you see the passion and the intensity. It just makes you have to bring your A game all the time. And you know, when you see them perform, it makes you feel good because you know you've put in that kind of work too, and that. Everything's coming together. It just it makes you trust the process so much more when you see results in your training partners
0: So one thing that that gets me very mentally prepared for for a race is Just nailing, you know a big workout or a workout that I know, you know Kind of roughly translates in into something that I can pull off in in a race event Is there is there anything that like that that really sticks out to you, uh, you know go to workout? Uh, that, that you know you're ready to, to race after completing, completing it and, and knocking out into the park?
1: Um, yeah, so, you know, workouts definitely um, help me see where I'm at and give me confidence in uh, where, what I can do. And if I had to sort of pick one workout that sort of gives me the most uh, insight to where I'm at, it's probably like 3 x 800 on eight minutes at goal pace uh, 1500. And we usually try to go anywhere between 208 to 210. And uh, then at the end, I always get a surprise tag interval anywhere from 300 to 400 meters, depending on how mean Heather decides to be that day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so when I'm able to do that workout comfortably at those paces, I know I'm ready.
0: Who are you matching up with uh, with in workouts out there right now?
1: Um, right now, my primary training partner is Sarah McPherson.
0: Oh, okay, neat, neat. I, I, you know, there's just so many, there's so many names out there, and uh, and so many people that that you could match up with. Uh, you know, being being a professional athlete um, probably has its moments of you know, you know um, I guess some some hard times in there but you know you you definitely have some some sponsors and, and some supporters and stuff who's uh, who's helping you out in in this journey
1: well the main supporter of our group is 94 forward and they've been such a huge part of everything we've been able to do the past couple years without them I'm not sure you know where our crew would be. Um, but I've also done a fundraiser in my hometown, and I, I got a lot of support from the community there in Niagara Falls and the surrounding areas of Niagara, and also Athletics Canada has supported me throughout this journey, so I've had a lot of support. I'm very lucky, and, and even more than that, I, I have a husband at home who is in complete support of my journey. and my quest towards the Olympics and my family is supportive. And so I really, I'm so fortunate.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, you know, best of luck, uh, you know, in the, in the next couple of races, um, hopefully, hopefully they're, they're good ones. I know some, sometimes they, they can be good. Sometimes they can be bad, but if they are anything like that Hamilton meet, then, uh, I, th- I think you should be in, in pretty good hands. Yeah. No, congratulations on your first national medal. And, uh, you know, thanks a lot for being on the show this week.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
0: A quick note before we end the podcast a big thank you goes out to all who ran or came out to support the second annual New Balance Canada Terminal Mile Cup. All the teams, New Balance Canada, and everybody who stayed to watch, they're all the reason why we do it. And it helped us achieve our goal of making fun opportunities for people to run fast together. Thank you so much. Big thanks to our guests this week, Mariah, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. To listen to more episodes of the podcast, you can find those on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tracky.ca. And hey, while you're there, shoot us a subscribe. On social media, we're at the Terminal Mile. My name is Michael Rokas. Thank you for listening. And remember, support your local Twilight meet.